My name is George Clayton Johnson. I'm a writer. As a writer, I've been at it for 45 years, and I've earned my living and paid for my home out of money earned from writing stories of various kinds for various purposes for quite a few years. Okay, in the course of that, I have, uh, I have had an awful lot of opportunity not to spend my time doing what other people want me to do, but to spend my time doing what I want to do. That every hour of mine is valuable, because that's all I have in my life is time. So when I have to sell my time, I try to think in terms of... Uh, that, that sort of boggles my mind. So I found that the best way for me to function is to go make something. If I cannot describe it well enough to someone, write it down. In the first, in the form of an outline, perhaps, then in the form of a script or in the form of a book, so as to show it to others and try to complete it without asking their advice. So that then when I give it to them, it is as I want to do it, and therefore, I'm not selling my time to anybody. I'm giving my time to myself, which amounts to my being prepared day after day after day to sit around quietly and think, to think, to direct my thought towards something, perhaps in a concept or an idea or a plan or a scheme, coming to try to understand something, coming to try to understand myself. George Clayton Johnson was born on July 10th, 1929, after what can only really be described as a difficult and hard upbringing. He somehow found it within himself to go beyond that and become a writer. His life story is quite interesting, and if you have a look in The Twilight Zone Companion, it does go into those early difficulties a bit more, what he had to overcome in his childhood. In the next episode of the Twilight Zone podcast, we're going to be looking at his first teleplay for the Twilight Zone, A Penny for Your Thoughts. So it seems a good time to maybe pay tribute to George Clayton Johnson, who we lost on Christmas Day 2015 at the age of 86. His achievements go far beyond the Twilight Zone. Of course, he co-wrote Logan's Run with William F. Nolan. He wrote for shows like Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Route 66, Honey West, Star Trek, and many other things. He wrote books, short stories for magazines. But of course, we're going to focus on his work in the Twilight Zone. Now, we've already come across him in a couple of stories, The Four of Us Are Dying and Execution, but those were actually based on stories that he'd already written. In A Penny For Your Thoughts, it was the first time that he wrote a script specifically for The Twilight Zone. Now, George Clayton Johnson was part of a group of people that were known as the group. 
This was a group of friends who, in the 50s and 60s, were really starting a movement, a, a change in science fiction, a change in stories, bringing about a, a kind of exciting vibe about them. And this group included William F. Nolan, it included John Tomlin, and it also included Charles Beaumont. Now, there were other people kind of tangentially involved with the group as well. People like Richard Matheson, people like Ray Bradbury. And I think the best way of understanding who the group were and what they were about is in the documentary Charles Beaumont, The Short Life of Twilight Zone's Magic Man by Jason and Sonny Brock. And it's the best exploration of that time and those people that I have found, what they achieved, what they were doing. Sometimes when you get a group of people together and they start creating something, it changes things. It starts to change how things are done. And in that documentary, they describe Charles Beaumont as being the, the kind of lightning rod, if you like, the thing that kept them all glued together. We all find this in life sometimes. You will have groups of friends and you will go out together, but there are people in that group who you don't necessarily speak to without other people in the group being there. And it seemed to be the case with the group that Charles Beaumont was really the lightning rod, the glue that held them together. So back to George Clayton Johnson. In The Twilight Zone, he wrote four stories, Execution, The Four of Us Are Dying, The Prime Mover, and 90 years without slumbering but like I say these were stories that were bought by the Twilight Zone and adapted. He wrote four teleplays though, A Penny for Your Thoughts that we'll look at next time, A Game of Pool, maybe one of the most iconic Twilight Zone episodes of all time, Nothing in the Dark and Kick the Can. And George Clayton Johnson recalled in the Twilight Zone Companion where that impetus came from to write the script a penny for your thoughts and he said we had a practice of going out in a car and schmoozing while we just drove interminably out along the beach here and there and I was having some very strong opinions about science fiction about stories and about what was art and John Tomlin was writing the Lawman series and Beaumont was writing the Twilight Zone and Naked City and Have Gun Will Travel and a couple of things like that and I was writing nothing except those two short stories which I had sold. So Chuck said to me, George, you ought to put your money where your mouth is. It's one thing for you to have all these opinions about what's good and what's bad, and to put us down in various ways, but then you've got to prove that you can do it better, or else we can't take you seriously. So I decided then that nothing would stop me from finishing the work I was doing, which was a penny for your thoughts. So while his output on The Twilight Zone might not have been as much as, say, Richard Matheson or Charles Beaumont, Mark Zickrey in The Twilight Zone Companion says that its quality was such that, even though there wasn't as much of it, it certainly stands up there with the best of it. Now from time to time, I have a stack of Twilight Zone magazines next to my desk here, and I will just flick through them you know, see what's in there. They're kind of funny little time capsules, you know, there's interviews in there with film stars. It's not just about the Twilight Zone, it's about movies, about television. 
there are short stories in there and interviews with uh, people from the Twilight Zone as well. And as I was doing my preparation for A Penny for Your Thoughts, I just happened to pick up the June 1989 issue. And in that magazine is a piece by George Clayton Johnson called Your Three Minutes Are Up. It's quite a short piece, but it finds him in a very reflective mood. It was from 1989, so he would have been in his early 60s. Now, as we know, Charles Beaumont died in his late 30s, so at this point, he would have been gone for more than 20 years. Now, the thing about this Twilight Zone magazine is there's so much stuff in it now, but obviously, you know, it's an old magazine. Who really does anything with the stuff in this anymore, you know? There's, there's a lot of stuff in there and it, unfortunately, I know a lot of people collect Twilight Zone magazine, but it does seem to be forgotten and I think it would be a shame for this nice piece that George Clayton Johnson wrote to go forgotten. So I'm going to read it to you now and I hope you will forgive that the person playing the main two parts sounds suspiciously like a certain Liverpoolian podcaster. But I'd also like to give thanks to my friend Brandy Jacola from the Dark Corner podcast who provided her voice for this piece as well. I think George Clayton Johnson maybe deserves that special mention. So this is my tribute to him and I will see you next time for his first scripted episode of The Twilight Zone, A Penny for Your Thoughts. I have become increasingly aware of the briefness of life. Sitting here in this improvised workroom, in my little home in Pacoima, late at night, after the family has gone to bed, touching this battered portable. I remember only yesterday, when the typewriter was new, and I wanted so desperately to be a published writer of short stories, like my friend, Charles Beaumont. It was like a crazy need. Writing is a lonely business. It tends to make you reclusive because it is difficult to concentrate, to get lost in the work while others are around. More and more you seek a place to be alone. When I used to hang around with the group learning to be a writer, little did I know that I would spend so many solitary hours at night dreaming. God knows I'd rather be down the hall in the bedroom cuddled up with Lola than here in the workroom trying to build a story so that Lola and I can earn the money necessary to keep the bills paid, to feed us and allow us to be together. Even after all these years, we're still best friends who can't be in the same room without plunging into earnest conversation with both of us talking as fast as we can. Only a closed door stops the avalanche of eager words that continually pass between us. I've taken to working late at night after she has gone to bed and the world has quieted down, alone in what was once a spare bedroom, 
trying to fit together just those words on paper that might excite an editor and eventually bring in the money we need. The only way to survive is to write stories that sell, which is why I was in my workroom at three in the morning, lost in language, when the telephone rang. I grabbed it to keep it from waking Lola aware of the lateness of the hour and apprehensive because calls this late often portend trouble. Hello, I said. A woman with a telephone company voice said, This is the special operator. I have a person-to-person call for George Clayton Johnson. I wondered what kind of trouble it was. This is George. And I heard her saying from farther away, I have your party on the line, sir. One moment. Another click, and the woman was gone. Then I heard a voice saying, Hello, George. I thought I might catch you now. I know you like to work at night. The voice was warm and familiar. It was the voice of Charles Beaumont. I hope I'm not interrupting anything important. I I thought if you weren't too busy we could talk for a few minutes. I felt the hair go up on my spine. Charles Beaumont has been dead for more than twenty years. Who is this? I said suspicious. I could feel myself suddenly becoming angry. It is I, the familiar voice intoned solemnly. It is only and merely I. But let's not waste time. I have a lot of questions to ask. Firstly, how's the group? Have you seen them lately? My God, whoever was doing him had all Chuck's inflections down pat. Abruptly, I felt cold, aware of the night. I heard the faint tinkle of ice in a glass. A thought crossed my mind. Do they serve alcohol in heaven? This isn't funny, I said. Not at all. George said Beaumont's voice with a note of disappointment. I had expected you to be quicker. I found myself wanting to prove how quick I could be. Beaumont always had that effect on me. Okay, Chuck, I said tightly. I'll go along with the gag. So here we are in the twilight zone. How are things at your end? Is it the standard heaven? Not exactly, he said. That's why I called. Now, I thought, here's where we find out what this is all about. Tell me more. The greater truth is that one man's heaven is another man's hell. Knowing how much English he could put on things, I said, Give it to me with the bark off. It's exactly the way I imagined it would be. Everything is perfect. There's not a discordant note. There's never any waiting, and no one disputes anything I say. Do you see the implications? He said sharply. I read that a man's reach should exceed his grasp, or... What's a heaven for? I said, trying to understand. Exactly, said Beaumont's voice somberly. And then, brightening, added, But it's my turn. What about Bert Schoenenberg? What's his latest stuff like? He died, Chuck, I said, reminded of the brilliant artist whose luminous paintings had enlightened us all. Oh, I didn't know. The sound of the words chilled my blood. Chuck, I said, 
Bert was one of the good guys. Haven't you seen him around? No, he said. I sat stunned, thinking, my father's house has many mansions. And the group, are they still living? Yes. I could hear relief in his voice. And do you still take each other to the beach? I remembered those night-long sessions of naked encounter and mutual psychiatry with the four of us jammed into Chuck's new Volkswagen. We would drive along the seacoast or hunch together over steamy cups in an all-night diner to thresh out the problems of the world while pointing out each other's flaws, stripping away the falseness. For Chuck they were fun, but for me, those confrontations were often nightmares, as I defended myself against self-satisfied challenges. John, who figured out how he should feel before becoming emotional, with visions of himself as a no-nonsense executive, with a taste for the finer things in life. Bill, who would kid his way out. The willing focus of Chuck's jokes who never forgot or misplaced anything, determined to make a living from writing, any kind of writing, happy when the heat wasn't on him. And Chuck Beaumont, keeping things moving with his aggressive manner and willingness to go first, somehow knowing that he was bulletproof, that he was the master of verbal judo who was living a charmed life. Among us, Chuck was the authority on writing. He had written The Hunger and other stories, had already published his first hardcover novel, was selling regularly to slick magazines like Playboy, and was being sent to the studios on interviews by his Hollywood agent, Malcolm Stewart, of the Ingo Preminger Agency on Sunset. He was a proven success. Bill was selling stories and articles to the men's magazines. John had been taken on by the Harold Matson Agency in New York, and there was talk of a book contract. I didn't have an agent. All I had sold was an original movie script for Peanuts, and after several years it looked as though it would never be produced. All of my attempts to write short stories had come back again, till I was blind to their faults. Baffled by the problem I had taken to procrastinating while I figured out the secret, studying Chuck and the others for clues on how the magic act was done. Was it the neatly typed pages, typed and retyped to perfection? Was it the charm, the personality, the telephone manner? Was it connections? Was it luck? Chuck insisted it was work, and that was echoed by the others. He talked a lot about forcing himself to sit in a chair, he would put a piece of paper in the typewriter and make himself stay there, even if the words wouldn't come. He said it was the way he got that trance state, where he forgot himself and became the work. He had adopted a schedule and he stuck to it, which wasn't my way. That's what I'd quit my job to avoid. So all too often I'd find myself backed into an uncomfortable corner, by all three of them at once, forced to admit that, measured by my progress, I could be wrong. I was there to learn, wasn't I? Somehow it was different when it was Chuck who was outflanked. 
He would smile warmly at us and thank us for straightening him out, while praising us all for our insights into his self-delusions. Yes, I remembered those enlightening torture sessions we called being taken to the beach. No, I said, we haven't been to the beach in years. Why not? Chuck's voice sounded dismayed. It appeared to me that you liked and admired each other. Sure, I said, but you were the centre. You must have known that the group would pull apart without you. Not all at once. Bill and I wrote a fairly successful book together, but it turned out that the big attraction between us was you. We spent our time together, waiting. You'd lock yourself away, working on something, while we'd wait for you to come out and play. We'd see each other from time to time, but the day would come when you'd finish the script or the story, and you'd be back again. Then the group would come alive. That was when you, tired of solitude, would want excitement. The minute you'd come out of the office of yours with the manuscript under your arm, you'd call one of us on the phone, and he'd come running, maybe picking up somebody on the way. You knew how to orchestrate these things, so we'd all end up at your place to talk and to listen to the hi-fi, or pile into a car and go for a drive. It was your group, Chuck. Without you to centre on, we simply discovered that we all lived in different worlds. When John Don wrote, No Man is an Island, he was mistaken. We may share the earth, but each man is a universe of his own creation. His dreams, his lusts, his needs. Every man is a god who has forgotten his divinity. Exactly, said the voice of Charles Beaumont. That's why it's so important that you call the others. Get them back together again. It's only while you're on earth that you get your three wishes. If you have the will to, reach for them. It's magic interacting with the throng. There are dangers, of course. It's easy to forget yourself and get lost in all the exciting activity, to be caught up in the world. But you must not avoid it either. Call them, George. Get the group together. Don't let them drift out of your life. Hug them to you. Cling to them. Pray for them. Cherish them. Didn't you know that if each of us lives in his own world, he also lives in his own heaven? It gets very lonely when the others aren't around, George. Hurry. There's only so much time. Infinity is only a heartbeat long. Eternity is now. For God's sake, wake up. There was a sudden click buzz on the phone, and I heard the colourless voice of the special operator. I'm sorry to disconnect you, sir, but your three minutes are up. Far off away, I thought I heard an anguished cry, then the familiar dial tone. I fumbled the phone back into the cradle and sat there for a moment, thinking. I could see what he meant about there not being enough time. I wanted to tell him that, though he was right about not letting the friendship die, I couldn't suddenly stop working and call John and Bill. If I could simply stop what I'm doing, the first thing I'd do is go down the hall to the bedroom where my wife Lola lies sleeping. Don't you understand, Chuck? It isn't only the money to pay the bills. 
There is a greater truth. Don't you know that when you were alone in your office, writing those stories, you were touching more people more deeply with the quality of your mind and thoughts than you ever could in a car driving along a beach with three guys? And don't you see why I couldn't leave the workroom until I finished this story? Your three minutes are up by George Clayton Johnson. <laughs>